1: That means me, Mark Lane included, are just less than a week away from the NFL draft. And it's going to be so exciting to talk about it all on the Hidden Yardage podcast right here on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. Can you believe it, Sean? We made it.
2: Man, draft week always brings up so many, you know, different feelings, right? You know, as a member of the media, there's, you know, a little bit of, I would say nervousness isn't the right word at all, but a little bit of like anxiousness of, you know, you know you're in for some long nights type of thing. They're a whole lot of fun, but you got some long nights and it's hectic and you're trying to keep track of every pick and got multiple monitors going to follow all the different shows and talk and get your writing done. And of course we'll have that all for you here at BTB. So there's all that going on and you try to, Take a step back and enjoy it, enjoy it a bit while you can as well. And so there's that going on too. But yeah, so do. love the draft, it's the uh, reason that I was ever able to step foot in Texas for the very first time. My first time in the Lone Star State was Dallas, 2018, for the draft. And a couple of years later, I moved here to Austin. Of course, we all know that. So uh, yeah, definitely the draft is a very special week. And by the end of it, we'll get to talk about a couple of new Cowboy starters, hopefully, and enough to put this team over the top is what we're all pretty much looking for.
1: Yeah, and of course we had the I guess state of the franchise uh presser on Monday with Steven and Jerry and Mike McCarthy and just a whole extravaganza there at the star. And as usual, I mean it's just the same old, same old getting tossed around with uh you know, the typical Jerry Fumfering and And uh, Stephen Jones talking about, you know, so much pie and cap space and all of that. But, uh, you know, just more of the same. But that's part of kind of the opening ceremonies to the draft.
2: Under Coach McCarthy to not have those types of leaks and stuff. So, I mean, certainly, certainly at this point, we're getting close, as close as we can be, and We have a pretty decent-sized net as far as, you know, who we think is in the running for 26. I know Jane Slater kind of threw – I wouldn't say threw a wrench in that whole thing, but um, her and Dave Hellman were talking about the idea of trading up for B. John, which got thrown around and she threw in two other names. Again, these aren't new names by any stretch, but B. John Robinson and then also keep an eye on tight end Michael Meyer out of Notre Dame and then uh, Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle out of Tennessee. So, you know – Position-wise, there's no surprises there, names that you're familiar with already if you've been following the draft process for the Cowboys, but that's just part of a much wider net than it takes to really have an idea of who you might be able to get when you're waiting all night until 26 overall.
1: He'll go on the fan. We've seen him on uh, the mothership stuff. But it just for these pressers getting out there in front of the media, he's not there. But, boy, does he have a presence nonetheless with the amount of times he gets Oh
2: well, Of course. I mean, that should be part of your pre-draft process as far as, you know, this is, of course, the week where, like, casual fans try to catch up with the diehard draft fans who have been doing this for months and, like, they're like, oh, tell me everything you learned in the last four months and a week, you know, make sure I'm ready for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's, like, much easier said than done, but they still try to do that catching up in terms of thinking that you know, you know, where all these players are good to go, but amplify what actual teams do by, you know, 100, and that's where even the most diehard draft fans, you know, are putting the work in, like, so the work that this you know, the Cowboys and every team have done on these prospects is so extensive and you know we can't overstate that. And especially this year in a draft where the amount of first round grades really aren't you know, it's gonna be either all over the place or it's gonna be a low number, it seems, for a good amount of teams and it's really just gonna be a you know kind of a grind to go into your second round grades and still feel like you're getting value throughout this draft. Doing the extra homework is all that much more important and like I said right off the top in a draft where we're hoping the Cowboys can finally get over the top after losing to the same team, San Francisco in the playoffs two years in a row. It's all that much more important.
1: Yeah. I'll be interested. Like you talked about the transparency after the draft. Um, I'll be interested to see the number of first rounders that they had on the board. I don't believe I heard that um, on Monday, but I know that the Colts. I tweeted out at the real Mark Lane on Twitter. You can follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL on Twitter. But I tweeted out that the Indianapolis Colts, their GM Chris Ballard, said that they have 17 players that are that have first round talent, and I'll be interested to see what the Cowboys' number is um, by the time. The draft gets rolling.
2: Yeah, 17 feels like a fair number. It's interesting to hear that from the Colts, particularly because they've done the journeyman quarterback thing so many years in a row, right? I mean, they have just yet to be able to have the resources to pick a quarterback first round and get you know a rookie in there to build around since Andrew Locke, basically. So they've done the bridge thing, and this is finally a year where they're up there to be able to get their quarterbacks. So you would think if any team has a high number of first rounders, it could be them because we know right at the end of the draft process, quarterbacks get pushed up the board, and certainly that's already happening this year with guys like Hendon Hooker being in the first-round discussion. Now, first-round discussion and first-round grade are two different things. We should note that distinction. It's an important one, but you know, Hendon Hooker, Anthony Richardson has been firmly in first-round talks for a while now. I don't, I'm not sure if that was the case you know, during the actual college football season. So we know quarterbacks get pushed up. The culture finally here to be able to take one of those guys that's been pushed up, and yet they still only have 17 I have three quarterbacks, and that puts my total at 21. I didn't do this all that scientifically. I didn't watch a ton of tape this year. I didn't make my own board. But this is kind of just browsing the rankings and reading the teal leaves of where we hear some of these guys are going to go. So I'll break it down by position real quick, which will help us kind of talk about you know where we think the Cowboys are going to go and where they can get the best value. I have 5 offensive linemen, which is the most common position in my top first round board. Three wide receivers, two tight ends. I think we know. Those are four defensive ends, three quarterbacks. As mentioned, two uh, defensive backs, just one defensive tackle, Jalen Carter, of course, and running back Bijan Robinson out of Texas, of course, as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think 17's kind of a low number uh, for me. I, I would have to go at about maybe 23, just really honestly, right before the Cowboys select at 26. I feel like that's kind of where the talent kind of peters out. Um, You know, just somewhere around 23 or 24, and that's what makes the Cowboys selection uh, just, you know, kind of uh, hand-wringing is you're going to use a first-round pick on someone that may not be first round talent you may if you go with John robinson use a first round pick the top of your whole draft like the crown jewel of your draft on a position that universally is just not regarded as highly as it is in the franchise's mind um and and that's like i said just kind of what makes, what creates the anxiety around the Cowboys pick is you're really delving a little bit into the second-round talent a little bit early. And I think that was part of the consternation in selecting Tyler Smith last season, where Dallas did, was people regarded him as a second-round pick. Well, why couldn't they trade back a little bit, uh, pick up some picks? Why did they take him right there? That's not exactly his placement on the board. And I think Dallas, at least from the spectator's point of view, at least from what we will see from the peanut gallery uh, throughout uh, night one, is kind of that same thing of Dallas will take someone and I don't know that they're going to have the first round grade that a lot of the other outlets. I'm not gonna, you know, use my usual characterizations of the people who wear like they wear lumberjack outfits. They look like lumberjacks. (laughs) I don't get it, but they look like with the beards and I don't get it, but and they probably never swung an axe in their lives, um, but right.
2: maybe they went to one of those like axe filling bars.
1: But... Yeah, that's about the extent of it. Um, but you know, it's going to be compared to that of well, they don't, It wasn't a first round pick per se, and I understand that. Um, I think Dallas is trudging in that those same that same waiting pool of criticism again this year, right or wrong, and who cares whether it pans out or not, that's just going to be kind of the narrative, I think, from night one.
2: And what you said there about, you know, drafting second-round grades at a certain point in the first round isn't anything new. That happens every year, whether, you know, fans realize it or not type of thing. I think most do, but yeah, that happens every year in terms of there there aren't, just because there's 32 picks in the round, there aren't 32 first-round players ever on any team's board, and so, yeah, somebody's I wouldn't say getting stuck with, but somebody at a certain point is drafting a second round player. It could even be, you know, as high as when there are still first round players on the board, just depending on where you graded somebody, if you really get a surprise or something of those types. I don't know if we'll have that this year where your position groups kind of lend themselves to like clear first round grades with, you know, easy to evaluate offensive linemen and defensive linemen, edge rushers, you know, blue chip type positions like that. But yeah, it's common to be drafting Second-round players, of course, they were quick to flaunt that Tyler Smith was anything but, but he was a firm first-round grade last year, and you know what? He played like a first-round talent, of course. Being able to step in immediately as a year-one starter at left tackle, which wasn't exactly the plan, yeah, that was warranted to say that he was a first-round type of talent, even though on draft night, it was hard to find that type of optimism for who you selected. So you know, I don't worry too much about the fact that they could be into a second-round grade. I do think Again, the theme of, you know, just needing to be a draft where you get those true difference makers and you put this roster over the top finally with so much optimism, looking at it from a standpoint of, oh, they don't really need a whole lot, right? You know, they traded for Stefan Gilmore. Brandon Cooks is a big addition at wide receiver. It's the cleanest you've been able to go into the draft in a while. That itself sort of lends itself to, you know, oh, we're really just in the market for a big difference maker type of player. We even talked last week about how far we'd be willing to trade up for a true first-round blue-chip grade, and I was surprised at my own answer as far as how much I think I'd be willing to give up to really go and make a big splash in this draft, but I don't see that happening for Dallas this year. I do think it's also likely, as you said, that they might be drafting a second-round player, and whether or not that can be the difference maker, well, again, persistent group-wise, I don't know if you're going to see that either, but you know, I think we would feel great about having another offensive lineman starter in front of Dak Prescott to spark the run game again a little bit more with Tony Power too and get him the protection he needs or, you know, get a defensive lineman and just let Dan Quinn work his magic and make this an even more overpowering defense and pass rush that just takes over game, like I've mentioned before. So, you know, there's some things working against them as far as being able to make that splash and be at the top of the headlines on on Thursday night, Friday morning, as far as, oh, the Cowboys only really won the first round I don't see that happening, but I think if you really you know, pay attention to what's going on, Cowboys fans that listen to this show will know that they probably did well with whoever they picked. Certainly, so there's a couple of ways where I think we would all be saying they might mess it up, too. We could talk about the running back and some of these tight end uh, you know, rumors as well, but for the most part, I think we're in the same boat as far as you know them being able to solidify a position that they really just have a high success rate at and that they're going to need more help at throughout the year as well.
1: By the way, and all you people who who are so concerned about Dallas winning the draft and, oh, the Giants won the draft or the Dallas has fallen <laughs> far behind the Eagles in the draft and everything. Don't forget that the Dayton Triangles won Yo. <laughs> the NFL draft for three years in a row, and look at them now. They don't even play ball.
2: I absolutely adore the fact that the Dayton Triangles have come up that two or now three times on this podcast.
1: Well, I think that they are adopted team now.
2: You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, if I can find some triangles merch, I will rock it around Austin, just walk around downtown until somebody comments on it. Yeah, you know?
1: I will wear a Dayton triangles T-shirt in a press box. I'll put the,
2: I'm one of the bumper stickers now on to my you. laptop. <laughs> yeah. I got an eight beer uh, sticker. I don't know if I should put it on my laptop and my work iPad or my phone. I got to figure out where to put the, uh, the Troy Aikman beer sticker one of these days,
1: but getting back. Yeah. It like it is. It's there are
2: triangle search, by the way, so we can make this. All right.
1: Happen. Yeah. We'll have uh we'll have hidden podcasts and it'll be on a triangle. Yeah. But really <laughs> it is what you're talking about. I just don't think that unless Dallas does something, crazy like they did in 2012 when they traded up to get Mo Claiborne. Um, I, I think they're really going to be kind of in the, uh, you know, the, the the back of the newspaper, so to speak, in terms of attention with round one. But I think that over the course of the draft, I think that they can make some headlines, if you will, in terms of just cultivating that value and really allowing – Will McClay to go to work? Oh, absolutely. You know, I remember
2: when like it was becoming a little bit more, let's say mainstream as far as Cowboys fans knowing that McClay, you know, had the influence that he still does on the draft. And we saw all the kind of funny hashtags of like, you know, let McClay cook and, you know, what Will run this show. And, you know, certainly he does and talks about these picks and even more so of what you hear about him publicly, he does behind the scenes and helps his team in the draft scenarios a whole lot. You know, you mentioned the Mo Claiborne trade up and then it's interesting that, you know, of course he played with Brandon Carr for a while and that was your corner tandem for probably way too long. It's kind of crazy if you go back and like look at pro football folk uh, reference and see, uh, you know, just how long those two were in the starting lineup together and never really got the full upside of what you were hoping for. But much like the Carr signing who played with Claiborne deterred the Cowboys in a lot of ways from going after big name free agents after that, you know, I think you're onto something there with the trade-up for Claiborne who didn't work out in the same type of way. And that might just be a position group thing since we're talking about two cornerbacks. And now you have Dan Quinn who has gotten a lot out of that position, every position. But, you know, look at what Duron Bland did as a fifth-round pick. Well,
1: I just want to interrupt a little bit on that. But with, with here's what happened with the Carr and Claiborne thing was that Rob Ryan, who was the defensive coordinator in 2012, you know – yeah. Well, I need my guys to play press coverage <laughs> and we're press and jam. And that's how you got Carr. That's how you got Clayborne. It was the first defensive player taken in that oh, draft, by the way. And it just never manifested. Then uh, in 2013, uh, they bring in Monty Kiffin and Rod Marinelli, and they're running the uh, Tampa 2 scheme, which they ran all the way through the end of the decade. And – this, that's basically what happened with Carr and no, I'm glad
2: you interrupted there because i you know me and I'm going to assume many other Cowboys fans have forgotten about the fact that Rob Ryan ever had his hands on the Dallas defense but he sure did and that was a big factor there so you know there's so many factors that influence whether or not a draft pick is going to work out and when you're picking 26 again not the you know sound like a broken record but when you pick at 26 you can't go wrong you know falling back on positions with both a high success rate and ones that you've personally you know know your coaches have developed well and so that's why we're talking about so many offensive linemen and positions that the cowboys have been able to hit on it's not necessarily just because of need even though it is harder than ever to find a clear true cut need on this roster they've done such a good job you know filling out our holes and being well balanced going to this thing which helps a lot but Yeah, hit on those positions, fall back on it. And my thing that I always like, you know, saying that I always like to reiterate around the draft, it's something I truly do think rings true and believe in a whole lot when I was starting to learn about the draft is when you feel like you have a position group that's, you know, pretty good, they're good enough, they can go into a game day, you can play tomorrow after the draft type of thing. When you feel like you're pretty good at a position, don't settle for just pretty good. Go get the one more guy, even if you're neglecting, you know, a bigger position to need for the sake of just being balanced across your whole roster. Balance roster doesn't necessarily win your football games. A dominant position group that just overmatches teams, if it's the right position, of course, that's what can win your football games. If you feel like you're pretty good, don't settle. Go get one more and go from pretty good to dominant, great, whatever you want to call it. And so that's, you know, the boat we could be talking about this Cowboys offensive line, defensive line being in. That's where I like the direction of where these, this first round pick could go.
1: Yeah. And with regards to the rest of the draft, like I said, that first round pick is. Um kind of the crown jewel of the draft but they've still got six picks as of now uh we don't have to do all seven picks um, but you know we'll just stop it around round four if you will uh, but what selections what group of players, do you have in mind that would absolutely just nail the draft for you and allow Dallas to carry the legacy of the Dayton Triangles of actually <laughs> having won the draft?
2: I can't wait to rock a triangle search. Yeah, I broke this down by a uh, position group. You know, I didn't know exactly how you were going to frame the question, but yeah, position group I think makes the most sense as far as what you would really like to see Dallas come away from this draft with, as far as both for the immediate future of, you know, the season and everything riding on it from McCarthy and all that, we know as well as, you know, fans realizing that, you know, the draft is also about looking ahead more so than I think gets attention towards. It's really about, you know, starting to look at your contracts that are coming up in a couple of years and hoping that you can find a player that's not going to fill that, that spot immediately. But when the contract comes up in those couple of years, do you have a coach that thinks he can develop them and start to, take those gambles that way so my position groups whichever order you want to rank it in terms of where the first round pick goes and then having everything else fall into place i think you need two capable starting off at diamond one immediate starter and then i'm not sold and of course the team isn't either an uh, either of joss ball or matt let's go really amounting to anything so you know if they prove something that they could be ahead of another rookie you take this year in the offseason program that's a nice decent step but still A long way to go for those two. So I think you're starting fresh as far as them being your tackle def and you need another swing tackle type guard in here. So an immediate starter on the offense line, someone that you can quickly develop as well. So those two, an immediate impact wide receiver at some point and then a capable starting defensive tackle. So if you can get those four or some combination or three out of the four, if you scratch the future offense alignment and just go for the three immediate ones, I think three slash four out of seven, is what you're looking for as far as a hit rate in this draft?
1: Well, I actually went by players, and uh, the players that I picked were predominantly from power five schools, which I understand in draft world is kind of like using Marvel films as literary references, or oh, di- or having some Marvel films, or, or having the Mar- uh, McDonald's value menu uh, cater for you. So I get that, but for me, I would feel like Dallas carried the legacy of the Dayton Triangles and won the draft if they took Collegiate Cansey in round one, number twenty-six overall. Understand that they're probably not going to do that, and then they're not going to add uh, Cansey or a defensive tackle that early. And I've talked about the history of Dallas in defensive tackles and the Jerry Jones ownership, and it just doesn't happen in the first round that way. I get it.
2: Um, it would be so nice to see Quinn working with Canty, but, yeah, a lot working against that potential pick. Not that he's not a great player, but a bit undersized and you know not exactly a run stuffer. So, yeah, it would be hard to see him being the Cowboys' first round pick, but if it somehow does happen and he starts to tap into the upside of Quinn, it could be a whole lot of fun.
1: Which is funny because Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network – who I, I don't like to compare. And then he compares players just all over the place in his conference calls. Uh, he compared him to Ed Oliver with the Buffalo Bills. And, I, you know, that's not that bad. Uh, to me, It's and I'll save it for when I talk about the picks I think could save a bad draft. But anyway, getting to the second round pick, uh, Devonna Kane from Texas A&M because I'm just not – I think you need a second to fourth round running back because I'm not sold on Tony Pollard uh, being the guy for beyond two years. So you need to kind of find someone to take the mantle from him now. Uh, Then Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, I think, would be a nicer. But if you take a third-round receiver – That really is a vote of no confidence in Jalen Tolbert, so that has implications with a pick like that. And then I think to kind of answer the um, you know the Leighton Vander Esch succession question, I would go with Oregon linebacker Noah Sewell. And those are my four picks. That if Dallas got those guys, I would feel like they won the draft.
2: And yes, uh, Sewell was ordered to Panay Sewell, draft pick of the Detroit Lions last year, high pick, and started a left tackle for him. So, And didn't he catch a touchdown or something? So caught a pass. But um, another athletic-type linebacker that you'd like to see in Dallas. I like those picks a lot. I did this on the fly, but to give my names as well then to fill out the position groups that I already mentioned. But offense iron around one still makes a lot of sense to me. So give me Darnell Wright out of Tennessee Second-round wide receiver with speed, Josh Downs out of North Carolina. And then, you know, defensive line in the third gets a little bit murky. I'm trying to pick out a name here. Uh, more Joma out of Texas, kind of has some pass rush upside, but might be a little high for him. He might make it to the fourth-round type of player. So you could throw him in there or, um, you know, one of these second-round names, like Byron Young or Zach Pickens. You know, Maisie Smith kind of rose, rose some eyebrows because he visited with the Cowboys on a pre-draft visit, but he's expected to be a first-round pick, so there's like a little bit of a gray area when it comes to interior defensive players in this draft as far as you have to either be committed to take one early or see them all go before you pick at 26, if you're Dallas in particular, and then kind of just picking what's left in the later rounds, but I think they can find somebody. You know, Kobe Turner on a Wake Forest, I think has some good upside as well, so talking about just finding a guy that can fill in a rotational defensive tackle role in the third round there.
1: All right, now on the flip side, who are your guys? Who are your guys that can absolutely save a bad draft for you? And by bad draft, I mean they took their their 6th and 7th round picks and built a package to move up in round 1 to take Taco Charlton. And then they take <laughs> Anthony Fazzano in the second round. And then they trade their 5th round pick in, you know, to this uh, New Orleans Saints for the Saints 2024 sixth round and 20-25, seventh round pick. Just, it's a terrible draft. Who are the two guys that save it for you?
2: This feels like kind of a boring answer. Like I'm kind of like a saying to myself for giving these two, but I think it just, again, offensive line being such a high hit rate for this team and yet still being a in need just makes it the right answer to me. I think either of Darnell Wright or Steve Avila are your guys there to you know, feel like you at least did that and you you have a franchise quarterback, he's gonna get, you know, I guess Jalen Hurts money, which is, you know, crazy to whole another show and topic that we can do. But you know, you have a franchise quarterback, you're working on the extension, it's gonna get done. And you know, so you have to protect him. You have to even as CDLM said after the season, you have to surround Prescott, his type of talent is if you surround him, you know, he can really facilitate the ball well and make a ton of plays and even use his legs more if the protection is right to get outside the pocket and stuff. So, yeah, the offensive lineman with Avila, slash right? And then a receiver, man, I'm such a fan of this uh, Tennessee guy, uh, Jalen Hyatt, just an absolute burner that the Cowboys have been missing, take the top off a of defense. So if you package right in a viewer together, a counts as one answer. So I'm not seeding and giving three names. And then Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee, just because we don't, we don't really know where he's going to go. So if you could sneak him in there, I would feel good about it as well.
1: All right. For me, it would be Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. And then um, Jacqueline Roy from LSU. And here's why: is because going back to Cancy, with Roy, I could have somebody to play defensive tackle and to just help um, control the line of scrimmage. With Fosky, I have the Demarcus. I like Demarcus lot, Lawrence. Um, transition plan and also maybe someone that can help with allowing michael parsons to be more of a linebacker now initially i was going to go with demarby and overshown again i i understand that going with these power five guys is you know just commonplace and i'm very basic i understand but You're gonna take the North Dakota State yeah. lineman. Uh, but um, if and I was gonna go with Over Sean, but if for this reason again, to have a linebacker, Leighton Vandresh, transition plan, maybe someone that can take Michael Parsons' uh, linebacker snaps, so he can be more of an edge rusher. But I was like, nah, I think you have to address the Demarcus Lawrence tr- tr- transition plan now. And that's why I chose Fosky. And then Roy, which I feel like gives you some flexibility with the guys on the inside.
2: Fosky and Roy together sounds like the name of like a cover band you'd see on a Friday night in Austin.
1: Yeah, and then you would go see them.
2: <laughs> I hope so. No, Fosky's gonna be a great pro man. He like just has all the makings of just a defensive alignment that you plug in and he plays down in, down out, plays so hard, stops to run, you know, does everything, coaches off, and yeah, he has to make him just a player that every team would love to have. So I sure would like for that team to be the Cowboys, like you said, get him a Dan Quinn system, get him an immediate role in the rotation and also a long-term future at potentially replacing DeMarcus Lawrence. So many good reasons for the Cowboys to be in on him along with the rest of the league. But, yeah, just a really solid pro and not a lot of negatives on his tape whatsoever.
1: Yes, and also – Because then, um, you know, when he's playing during the season and he's doing well, or even if he's not doing well, uh, when Jerry gets questions about him, when he goes on the fan, you know, then Jerry will say, well, uh, I I visited with Foxy. uh, And uh, every time uh, he tells me about how his mom used to bring him to to go uh, sweep the floors, uh, after every time uh, that they had a potluck at church. Uh, so, you know, I would look forward to it for that reason because you know Jerry would say, not fosky, but foxy. Yeah, that would
2: be pretty great. Uh, this is one of the most random comments I've probably ever made here, but since we're talking about a Notre Dame player, my high school changed football uniforms, but when I was there, at least through my junior year. I think they might have cha- changed why I was still there, but I can't remember. But at one point, so our colors are black and gold and we were the Panthers. We had basically the exact Notre Dame helmets. I mean, we look like Notre Dame out there. White jersey, black pants, which Notre Dame wears, like I guess out of gold or blue pants, but white jersey, black pants, but the Notre Dame helmet. I mean, it was just no logo, gold, shiny. You would get a little bit of fog rolling in and like the condensation would build up on helmets and it looked really sick under the lights. So again, random, not sure where i was going with this but yeah it was
1: now wait you played under the lights i thought in new jersey y'all played saturday morning football or at least brian mccarthy who's the pr chief with the league i mean on saturday mornings he's tweeting going to his son's high school football games in new jersey and like i said it's saturday morning y'all played under the nah, lights? man, we well, had
2: yeah full friday night lights i was with the band you know getting to go to the games and have a good seat and play music and watch football off my friends. Yeah. Friday night lights, are, you know, were a special time for me. So yeah, we had Friday. There are some Saturday games that get scheduled still. So you can, you know, if you're just like a media member or a fan, you can plan your Friday and Saturday to see certain teams and go to games. The one team near me that's synonymous with Saturday games is Lakewood high school, who was coached uh, by a coach that NFL films was doing a feature on. And they happened to use a lot of footage from the Saturday that we played them. So, Way in the background of some NFL film, I forget the name of all of it and everything, but way in the background, you can you can find me in the crowd. I don't know how like clear it is as far as if you could really point like point and say that's me, but you can see the band from my high school and know that I'm in there somewhere, which means I'm technically on an NFL film.
1: And yet, Sean was still not good enough to be a varsity athlete.
2: <laughs> I tried to be a varsity tennis player for like...
1: Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what that's from, right? It's from one of the most New Jersey... Pieces of american culture there is wait what <laughs> when i digged you for still not being good enough to be a varsity athlete that's from the sopranos it's what uncle june oh, says Wow, he, he says that to tony at, at a sunday dinner
2: um I'm not and, fully you up know, on all my sopranos references so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so <laughs> but, but you tried varsity tennis huh
2: yeah, it lasted, like, a week. It was, like, senior year, me and a bunch of band kids, basically, like, you know, the, the comp band season was over, and we're, like, well, you know, we want something else to do. Like, we're about to graduate. We're all going to go separate directions for college or whatever. What's What can we do? So, we all tried to make the tennis team, which is, like, completely unserious. One of them, two of them made it and became the doubles team. That was actually pretty good, but a lot of us didn't make it, me included, but, uh, yeah, it was fun to, you know, go to practice for a couple of weeks and get a good workout and try to play some tennis and even after I wasn't on the team, I still went and played with some friends and kept my equipment and used it as you know just a recreational activity. So, yeah, I tried to be a varsity tennis player for a bit.
1: Yeah, and again, for a lot of people, their athletics career ends in high school. For others, it goes on to college, and for a select few, it continues on into the professional ranks. And then for bring elite, on the drift few, it turns into multiple championships, Hall of Fame induction, uh, inductions into your team's ring of honor or fame or honor roll or whatever they want to call it, and that's the story of Troy Aikman, but I think that he would have to agree one of his most memorable moments in his life occurred this past week. When he met you, tell us more about that, Sean.
2: Oh man, what an incredible moment it was. So yeah, as I mentioned on here a couple of times before and, and on Twitter as well and things of that nature, I work for, full-time for a, a beer distributor company here in Austin and one that likes to, uh, when they when they want to launch a brand or throw a party, one that knows how to do it, which uh, I take a lot of pride in saying, we, we know how to, how to do a party. So Troy Aikman, of course, launched a beer last year. It's called Eight. It's great. You should check it out. And, you know, great light beard has really done well already, which is hard to just come out of the gate doing well in this industry. But they have. Of course, they, having Aikman's name behind it has meant the world. So, you know, we get the email that this meeting is going to be going on earlier in the week. And the brands we're going to be talking about is eight and then one other new one that we sell. And so I kind of put the thought right in the back of my head as soon as I saw that, like, hmm, if we're having a meeting specifically about eight. Troy Aikman might just be at this thing, but I, d- I didn't ask anybody ahead of time. I didn't expect him to be there. I just kind of felt out the room. And then sure enough, I'm eating some famous Terry Black's barbecue and drinking an eight. And I'm looking around the room before the meeting starts. And there is Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman. So couldn't have been nicer about you know spending some time meeting me and my coworkers before presenting at the meeting, taking pictures with us, which you can find on my Instagram and Twitter. Uh, selfie with Troy Aikman. So really couldn't have been cool. Had the opportunity to tell him that I was born on the day of one of his Super Bowls, which of course he found cool. Had an opportunity to ask him a little bit what you wanted me to ask him, which was what it was like to work on a beer truck for one of his first jobs in Oklahoma. And he said it was much different, of course, than the industry is now. And then he presented to us and threw some footballs to the crowd. And uh, we had a whole lot of fun with that. So yeah, really surreal moment to uh, get to meet the quarterback that has meant so much to so many Cowboys fans, myself included. I mean, we talked a lot about personal details on this episode. Let me throw one more in. My middle name is actually Troy. No relation to Aikman, but you might as well assume it is, you know, that it's that type of thing. Like it wasn't done because the Super Bowl was that day, but since it happens to have happened that way, you might as well say it is type of thing. So yeah, my middle name is Troy. He won the Super Bowl on my birthday and started this journey for me to brought me all the way to Texas and, getting to meet them and spend a couple of minutes with them is really cool. And one more thing real quick, you know, the point of a lot of these meetings when they talk about specific beer brands is to kind of bring it back to your forefront when you're out there selling, you know, it could be easy to lose sight of just how many brands that we sell. And you kind of just, everything looks like wallpaper at a certain point, you know, it's no different And when you're on this podcast or you're writing and you kind of hit a wall a bit and you got to think of new ideas and you need something to change it up like we do. So when you're out there selling, you can forget, you know, Oh, maybe I should try to put this in that store or this in in the other store. And man, (laughs) no better example of this actually working than when it comes to Troy Aikman presenting, telling us to go put some more eight beer. I mean, the meeting was on Thursday on Friday, I was in the store. They had some space to put some, uh, some new beers of ours in, and I had one idea for it. The email came in about 10 minutes after I already had my idea for what I was going to put in that spot. Email came in and a new package of eight was ready to go at the warehouse. <laughs> Within seconds, I went into the invoice, changed what I had, the original idea I had, and put the eight in there. I'm like, that's just how it works. The guy takes a picture with you. You put his beer in the store. So certainly really cool to get the work of not only his brand, but to meet him in person. And he couldn't have been cooler. And it was a really awesome moment.
1: Yeah. And that's so awesome to hear. Just how genuine Troy Aikman is, and he he is he has a, a lot of uh, a lot of that just down home if you will uh, mentality, even though he is a three time super Bowl champion of from one of the most publicized entertainment brands in human civilization. <laughs>
2: And one of the cool things was, you know, certainly as he was presenting to us, there was probably many of me and my, and my coworkers who were, you know, a little bit starstruck at the fact that a quarterback of all accolades you mentioned was presenting to us. But one thing he kind of turned around back on us, he was like, yeah, you guys, you know, might've followed my football career and I appreciate that and all that. But I see, you know, he like turned it back on us in a way of, he's still the beer industry and it's new to him and it's cut through and it's hard and it's, you know, gaining any type of significant sale in this industry takes a long time. And, but he's in it for the long run, certainly. And they have a great forecast as far as where the brand's going to go, but he turned it back on us. He's like, yeah, I got to tour your warehouse and talk to some of your high up salespeople and everything. And, you know, you might see a hall of fame up here in me, but I see an all-star type sales team that, you know, has really done a good job getting this beer out here more so than I'd be able to, because I'm still, in the industry so like i said i couldn't have been a more better example of that type of marketing actually working as far as motivate motivating me and all my coworkers to go put some eight beer out there and i'll certainly be trying to uh, do my part in that and if you're in our 21 plus audience and in, in the austin area or really anywhere else uh definitely take a look for it white and blue box with eight on it trey quinn's jersey number and perfect for a hot summer day
1: Let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays before we get out of here. Sean, on Tuesday, Darren Woodson, teammates with Troy Aikman. He turns 54 years old. He's with Dallas from 1992 to 2003. That also means he's a three-time Super Bowl champion. On Thursday, uh, former linebacker Leroy Jordan turns 82 years old. He's with Dallas from 19... 63 to 1976, that means he was part of that rare group of Cowboys in the, oh no, he isn't, 76. So I would have been wrong on that. On Friday, again, to highlight uh, just why you go with Foskey, Demarcus Lawrence turns 31 years old. On Friday, and he's been with Dallas since 2014 as a second round defensive end. And then on Sunday, Tony Pollard, he turns 26 years old, and he's been with Dallas' fourth round pick since 2019 as a running back. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays.
2: Yeah, that DeMarcus Orange example is just a great one as far as like puts in perspective how long some of us have been following the team. You know, I'm sure both of us clearly remember the night that Orange was drafted in that second round pick, trading up for it. So, you know, they go for DeMarcus Orange, but all the way back in 2014, that's still a clear memory. And now here he is as a 31 year old player probably towards the back half of his career to, to put it nicely. And yet, you know, still getting a lot out of him. And when the time comes to have to need a, another defensive end in here to play a left end, you know, Foskey is a great name. I'm glad you brought him up and some other ones as well. And same with Pollard, you know, not quite obviously as old and that's a good thing stepping into the lead back role. But, you know, 26 feels like a good year to a, you know, really come of age at running back. And that's why the Cowboys think that he is a lot of tread left in the tires to pick up where Ezekiel Elliott and him left off last year together get as a duo. Now it's just going to be Pollard and some combination of a Malik Davis or a draft pick to be determined. But yeah, a lot of tread left in the legs for Tony Pollard turning 26 uh, this weekend.
1: Indeed. Well, you've been listening to the hidden yardage podcast right here on the blog and the boys podcast network. Ask your friends to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, tune in and stitcher and in 168 hours from now we will be talking about what the cowboys got for draftness so there it is